0: Uh, It is a pleasure to be here, and I'm going to continue in a series of messages that are going to be focused this month on core values here at Grace Covenant. And Jared, Pastor Jared started last week on evangelism, and there was a preaching spirit on him today. I didn't think I was going to get up, but uh, we're going to continue today. So as we focus, this second installment is going to deal with the issue of the Lordship of Christ. And before we turn our attention to 1 Peter, let's first ask the question, what is the lordship of Christ? And there are two aspects of his lordship. There is the biblical reality, and then there is the relational reality. The biblical reality is this, that he is the second person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's Jesus he is the agent of creation. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing exists. Everything comes into being and exists because of his greatness and power. And, matter of fact, it says he holds all things together. How many know that's true? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, and he administrates everything in between. He is God Almighty, sovereign, and glorious. And so we understand he is not just king, he is king of kings. He's not just lord, he is lord of lords. So now, when it comes to the relational aspect of that, that reality is this, that we are defined by our regard and responsiveness to his lordship. If we regard his lordship, then we become saints. If we reject his lordship, then we are sinners. We are defined by how we look and regard the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I want us to turn our attention to 1 Peter right now. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse, chapter 3, verse 13. I was going to take you through the whole book. Let's just do, let's just do a verse. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to start at 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you shall suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. I'm going to read that phrase again. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Ask somebody, is that one of your memory verses? And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled, but... Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So, here Peter is writing to these churches that are dispersed abroad Cappadocia, Pontus, Galatia, Asia. He's writing to all of these churches and he's conveying this this truth to them in the face of the hostile environment that they find themselves in. Because of their allegiance to Christ, their identification with the kingdom, that they find themselves in a place where they could be persecuted for the faith. They find themselves suffering for the cause of the kingdom of God. And Peter says, if that happens because you're standing for Jesus, you're blessed. Okay, nobody said amen. Let's keep going. So he says, look, when you find yourself facing these situations and, and you find yourself being persecuted and suffering for the cause of the kingdom, don't succumb to anxiety and fear and intimidation, but rather appeal to the lordship of Christ. That in don't let these circumstances be elevated above you that the point to the point that you put them above Christ, but you keep Christ above every situation. That no matter what you go through, he must still have that preeminent position of authority and greatness. If you can see him in elevated and see him having authority over everything you go through, you'll be able to get through every situation. You'll be able to move with power and strength. So, this is so important to us. So, I, I've got to ask the question then, how, what is it about his lordship that's so important to us as believers? Now, let me ask this. How many have been walking with the Lord for at least five years? Been a Christian for at least five years. Okay. How about 10 years? Okay. How about 15 years? 20 years? 25 years? Okay. 30 years? 35 years. Wow, we got some biblical characters in this church. 40 years. 40 years, all right. 45 years. Wave them high. If you still can, wave them. 45 years. 50 years. Wow. I didn't know I was going to beat Moses and Abraham and Sarah. This is powerful. This is incredible stuff. So maybe you may have a hard time with what I'm going to say next because it's going to take a while to remember all this. But think back to your former manner of life before you came into the kingdom of God, before you got saved, before Christ became the center of your life. Think about that for a moment, that you were in darkness. And it's interesting because when you think about us being in darkness... The issue was, as we look at the significance of the Lordship of Christ, there was, during that season of time, we had a God-shaped void in our life. And as you remember, back during that time, before you came into the kingdom, you tried to fill that void, filled it with other things, filled it with relationships, filled it with material things, filled it with some external stimuli to get you high or whatever. I'm just checking. Something you put in, sexual activity, all those things to try to fill the void, and nothing filled the void. It was like chasing after the wind. You thought you had something, but nothing was there. It was emptiness. The only thing that can fill that God-shaped void is God. God is the only one who can fill the void in our life. So that God-shaped void then is defined in Scripture as spiritual death. For it says in Ephesians chapter 1 or chapter 2 in verse 1, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course and spirit of this age, the, the spirit that dictated the sons of disobedience, when you were there, that's, that's where we were in our darkness. In other words, we were walking, talking, living, flesh-eating zombies. Then he said, wait a minute, okay, I get the part that we were dead, spiritually dead. Okay, help me with the flesh-eating zombie part. Okay, the flesh-eating zombie part is this, that when you think about it, flesh, you take the word flesh and you turn the last four letters around, and it sells self. And we lived on a constant diet of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-government, and selfishness. And that's where we were in our unbelief. We constantly lived on that diet. But God, there came a moment when God became real to us. We encountered the goodness of God. We received the gospel. We were born from above. We came alive to God. And so that's the reality of experiencing the gospel. But let me step aside for a moment because For so many, we see that many people are not presented the gospel. Because in it, the gospel entails a presentation of Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so, if one, one presents Jesus simply as Savior, they're not doing justice to the reality of the gospel. But that can be traced all the way back even to the beginning of his his presence here on earth when it says, and in the city of David, there was born to us a Savior who is Christ Jesus, the Lord. His capacity to be Savior is because he is Lord, because he rules, because he's sovereign. His capacity to step in and intervene and save us is because he is Lord. Now, what does a Savior do? As Savior, as Savior speaks of this, it speaks of what He gives up for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse, right? Especially the biblical characters with us. And so, (laughs) it's what God gives up. For us as Savior, Lord is what we give up for him. For if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross. He's not talking about that gold chain with a little thing on it that looks so good with turtlenecks. (laughs) But he's talking about daily dying to That former way of thinking. See, when you got saved, something happened. In that very moment, you received Christ. The glory and presence of God came. You were cleansed. You were washed. You were sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's your identity. That's why you can say right now, right now I can say, I'm holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Because of the blood of Jesus, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Savior. But see, in that, even though I am cleansed and I'm renewed and I'm sanctified by the blood, when I came into the kingdom, my mind wasn't. My mind had more history and connection to darkness than it did in the light. So something had to happen. Once I received Christ and I was yielded to him, my heart was yielded to him, my mind had to be reestablished. It had to be connected. It had to be connected to the will and purpose of God. I needed to renew my mind. So the charge of scriptures be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Amen? Not the removal of your mind. God uses these minds but the renewal of your mind that you are transformed why why is it so important to be transformed by the renewing of your mind because there's a tendency for us to slip back and to begin to think how we did historically in unbelief begin to uh, uh, begin to go back and process according to that walking talking living flesh eating zombie mentality and so it's important that we say, okay, I've got to come in. And Paul says, you've got to make sure that you renew your mind so you can present yourselves as a living and a holy sacrifice. Transform. The word is metamorpho. We get that word metamorphosis from that word transform. It's a change that occurs. That God has called us to change. If you're a believer and you're walking with Jesus, there's going to be change in your life. I, I'm gonna say it again. I said, if you're a believer and you're walking with Jesus, there's gonna be some change in your life. Somebody's gonna say, there's something different. It may be a little bit, but there's something that's happened. But it becomes the catalyst for more change in your life. That God is changing us from glory to glory, faith upon faith. We're being changed. If you're walking with Jesus, you're gonna change. You see, when you're walking in a relationship with someone, somebody's gonna change. God's not changing. (laughs) He's not changing. He's good. You know when the Bible says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sin be a scarlet, I'll make him white as snow and all that. When God says, Come, let us reason together, He's not saying, We're not going to sit down at the conference table and kind of discuss some things. I'll hear you out, you hear me out. Let's see if we can come to resolve. Maybe, you know, we can maybe agree to disagree. God never does a disagree. He, he never does the agree to disagree thing. That's just not him. He's saying, I am Lord. I need you to agree with that. So as we come and realize now we need to renew our minds, begin to connect to that the essential element then is lordship. I need to begin to see him elevated and and honor him in that position. So Peter is affirming this truth. Peter is saying this. He's saying, look, in the face of what you go through, in the face of any problem, any chaos in your life, any disappointment, he's not saying that we need to sanctify sanctification himself. That we need to make holy, the holy one. He's saying, no, you need to separate him above all else. That in every situation that he has the preeminent position in your life. That if anything comes up, don't let anything rob him from being the center point of your life. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith so that what? You can run this race set before you. So keeping your eyes locked on him, keeping your focus on him, because see, when things happen, we tend to make an exchange. We make an exchange. We exchange what he can do for what we can do. And when we begin to see what we can do, we have fear. We have anxiety because we see limitations of what we can do. But if we keep our eyes fixed on him, if we walk with Him and trust Him, we see His capacity, His greatness. See, those are those dangerous people, those dangerous Christians are those who believe in the power of God and the authority of God. And if God said it, He can do it. He is not a man that He should lie or the son of man that He should repent. If God declares something, it's good. So, it's in this process that we begin to see that he must have that position of lordship. Lord in everything. Peter saying in everything, Lord of everything. That when it comes to my daily existence, he must be Lord. See, there is, there is so much grace that is released upon us under his lordship. Under his lordship. The beautiful thing about it, we think of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Right? That's what we call grace. Well, yeah. But I would call that saving grace. Unmerited favor. You don't work for saving grace. It's God taking initiative toward you. The hearing and prayer have a beautiful sign for the word grace. It's God coming to you. You can't intellectually get to him. You can't emotionally get to him. You can't. No, it's God coming to you. Grace comes to you. That's saving grace. But when it comes to maintaining grace, I don't necessarily see that as unmerited favor, but in essence, merited favor. Because the Bible tells us that, and that that we come to a place that there are things we can do. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, that sounds conditional. That I have to humble myself in order to experience aspects of maintaining grace and if I don't humble myself there's realms of favor that I will never experience until I humble myself and see that he's Lord so I've got to humble myself and recognize the greatness of his position so he must be Lord in every aspect of my life I don't want to do anything without him you ever try to do something without him did it explode on you don't want to don't want to get married without him? That's a whole nother message. <laughs> that's a whole, we're not even going to even go there, right? <laughs> but there's so many things we think about moving or transitioning or, or, or jobs or whatever. Make sure the Bible says what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One translation says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall seek you out. They will come after you if you put in place divine order. If God is first and he's created all things, then he can manipulate circumstances to cause all things to work together for good on your behalf and make those things that you've been longing for now seek you out. Under his lordship. In this passage that we know well, it's Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And it simply says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, shadow means the presence of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my hair with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd, but he cannot be my shepherd unless he is Lord. See, his capacity to shepherd me is because he is Lord. And out of his lordship, I begin to discover I have provision in him. I will not be in want, I have everything I need under his lordship. He brings me into green pastures, he gives me what I like, he lets me experience the benefits of his blessing. He, he begins to grant me, indeed, favor in all that I go through and what I deal with, that he leads me by quiet waters and quiet streams. Now, I want to tell you something. You know, it's, it's so important to have the guidance of God in everything we do. Jeremiah 33 3 says, call to me and I'll answer you and I'll tell you great and mighty things which you not know. God will show you. God will guide you. God will lead you. But you've got to trust him as shepherd and Lord. Look at this. And it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I face difficult situations, even though I face critical circumstances that have the capacity to in- inflict my life, let alone take me out of this life, God says, no, I'm with you. I'm present with you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be dread. You don't have to be intimidated. I'm with you. Just keep on sanctifying Christ as Lord I'm there with you. I got you. I got you covered into that. Now look at this. And I will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Who wants to eat in front of their enemies? I want to sit down and enjoy my meal without my enemies looking on. Because what happens? You eat in front of your enemies, you're thinking about your enemies, right? No, I want to enjoy my meal. Can we just do this somewhere else? But God says, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies because, see, understand something. I am revealing to your enemies how much power and authority I have to give you provision that overtakes anything they're trying to take from you. <clears throat> and understand, it's your table here. Sitting, you're sitting at the table. It's your food. They're watching the provision I'm bringing and releasing on your life, so don't worry about them. Set out and eat. Enjoy the meal. It's interesting because I look at this. I think about the fact that as Christians, we face trials. Any anybody <laughs> had any trials? I would believe every person as a Christian in this room has gone through a trial, right? Probably a number of them. And, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, 55 years, a lot of them. So you've gone through trials. And I know this is true because there are fundamentally two kinds of trials that believers will go through. They're going to go through disciplinary trials, and they're going to go through developmental trials. Disciplinary, disciplinary trials are trials that we face because we have moved away from the will of God. We've stepped into an area of sin. We, we got off track with God. And God, our gracious Heavenly Father, will be, begin to discipline us. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Don't you feel loved when he's... <laughs> well, the, the term in Hebrew, it goes on to say, and he scourges every son of his. Scourging? that he is dealing with the flesh so we can get back into alignment with him. That's the love of God. You ever had a testimony, come and share it with the church? I just want you to know I was in sin, I messed up, but boy, God whipped me good. And now I'm back where I need to be. Bless his holy name. We don't always celebrate the discipline of the Lord, Right? The other is the developmental aspects of trials. Developmental trials may not have to do anything to do with sin. They have to do with advancement, that God is advancing you. God will let there be obstacles in your life, trials, difficulties, so you can go further than where you've been before. Creates resistance so you can get to a stronger and get to a greater place. That's why Jane says, consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is pressing us to the place of purification, a place of growth, the place of, of being like him in every other aspect of our life. So he will send trials to get us to go to that next level because it, we're not in sin, but we can be content where we are. And sometimes he has to send trials to get us to move on to that next level. So, we all experience trials. And the Bible says it rains upon the just and the unjust. If it was raining outside right now and we all left here, none of us had an umbrella, guess what? We would all get wet. Whether righteous or unrighteous, just or unjust. But can I tell you something that in the Lord, we have the reality of divine protection. That under his lordship is the reality as we submit to his will. Because here's the question. How do I practice his lordship in my life? How do I practice? How do I implement it? I implement it by obedience. And if I walk in obedience, his will then that creates a covering of his lordship over my life because I'm walking in union with God. I'm submitting to him and he's covering me. So although at our times as Christians we're going to have trials, that every time it rains doesn't mean every time we got to get wet. Yes. That God can cover us and protect us and keep us. Yes. Now, here's the problem, though. The problem is you've got to keep this covering, this umbrella of submission to God, in his lordship with you all the time on rainy days on sunny days outside inside when you go to work when you fellowship when you're out and about when you're at the ball game wherever you are when you're on vacation when you go to Las Vegas uh oh did we touch a nerve and at times you can say oh Carrying the will of God, submitting to Jesus. This is getting a little tiresome. I'm, oh, I, I don't know. I feel like I need a break all the time carrying the will of God, all the time. Uh, I need to put this down. Maybe if I can get something a little bit more manageable, <laughs> a smaller version. <laughs> and, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm still submitting to God but not as much. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not covered as much because I've introduced compromise into my life. So now I'm, I'm submitting to a degree, but I'm not completely there. But you know what? I can manage this for a while. But you know what? Compromise has a Siamese twin called deception. Deception. And at some point, you realize you think you can handle it, but because you've already opened the door of compromise, then this begins to get heavy. Oh, I don't know if I can handle this. This is too much all day long. And before you know it, you want to put this down. And you find yourself at a place, how can I manage? How can I deal with it? And before you know it... And there's some Christians, professing Christians (laughs) who are living under the umbrella that they believe they can manage. And you know what's crazy about that? I've been pastoring for a number of years. The crazy thing is when they have an umbrella like this and they get wet, you know what they say? Where's God? (laughs) Where is God? We need to say, God, you're not just my Savior, you're my Lord, and you have authority over every aspect of my life, my relationships, my resources, my time, my present, my future. Everything is under your authority. I'm following you all the way, and I'm doing it. I'm taking up that cross (laughs) daily. Daily, every day, I'm making a conscious decision not to go back to my zombie ways. I'm going to live according to your will. Amen.